y'all. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 194. Well, I have another TV thing. Recommendation. That's what it's called. Hit me with it. All right. The name of it is The Sex Lives of College Girls. It's on HBO Max or Plus or whatever it's called. It's the app. But it's by Mindy Kaling. And everything she's like a producer and stuff of, I freaking love it. But these girls, they remind me so much of me, you, Tiffany. One girl, she said, seize the dick. I was like, that should be a saying. That should be a shirt. Carbs and cocks. That's what we're here for. (laughs) Oh my God. Speaking of that, of course, this weekend, we're going to Atlanta, which when this comes out, we will already be back. Well, Donna posted a picture of us because we were going to do a meetup while we're there. And we'll tell you all about that when we come back the next week. But anyway, on the information on the picture, she's like, hey, we're going, blah, blah, blah. There'll be carbs and something about bringing cocks. And my mama commented on that picture like you girls are so beautiful <laughs> i was like did she did she see the word cox because i'm a little embarrassed <laughs> i'm pretty sure she didn't you did she, make yeah. a tiktok and sent it to her and she said that looks like your house and it looks like jack's no she said that looks just like your christmas tree at jack's <laughs> i said well shit mama it is i didn't say that but that's how she would say it but my mama is very like she don't she don't do she don't fucks with the carbs and cocks. Well, she does, but you get the, she don't talk about it. Uh huh. Uh huh. God, I like blushed when I saw that she <laughs> saw that. It was a lot of information. You know, it she was, didn't read it. Yes, she didn't. But still, it was. I was like, "Whoop!" Did mom see the word cocks? <laughs> like that one time we tried to do a Facebook live in the group, and we accidentally did it like on my personal page. Yeah. Like all the my mom joined, and I'm like, "What the hell?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Meanwhile, we're four fucks in," and I was like, "Ooh." Well, speaking of Facebook Lives, Patreoners, get them once a month. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jocelyn G. from Canada. Rebecca H. from Massachusetts. Joyce W. from Texas. Shane S. from Connecticut. Candace P. from Kentucky. Josie M. from Washington. Pamela F. from Georgia. And Jace C. from Michigan. Thank y'all so much for joining and supporting us. We hope y'all are enjoying all of the good good, as Carrie says, that's over there in the Creepinati, a.k.a. Patreon. If you want to hear your name shouted out after Carrie does her Patreoners alert, go to www.patreon.com forward slash the APC podcast. Okay, so for my story this week, I'm going to talk about Sydney Loof. This story actually happened not too long ago. It happened in 2017. My story did too. Well, why are you trying to copy me? Well, I didn't know I was. Well, did it happen in Nebraska? No, Massachusetts. When in 2017? Mine was in November. Literally same. Oh my gosh! (laughs) Okay, Sydney worked as a lead cashier and y'all... The place that she worked made me giggle so hard because that guy on TikTok that would like go here on purpose because it made him giggle so hard. But she worked at Menards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott D. Henry. Yes, 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 yes. And like I busted out laughing when I saw that only because of all of Scott D. Henry's TikToks being like Menards and like him getting like the trucker hats and everything. So Sydney was working on getting her life in order. Like I said, she was the lead cashier at Menards. And she's 24 years old, you know, just kind of getting everything going the way that she wants it to go. She decided, hey, it's time to look for love. So what does any 24-year-old do? She got tender. I do not like this story already because it's going to make me more paranoid than I am. Well, as it should. Be paranoid. Trust 
no one. So Sydney had actually found a little bit of luck. She had gone on a date with a girl named Audrey and they hit it off. So they decided, hey, let's actually do this thing again tomorrow. So she was super excited, had told her friends about, hey, you know what? I met Audrey and it went really well. Like we're going to meet each other again. I'm super excited. Probably one of the more famous pictures of this story is Sydney from her Snapchat. And you know, it's just like a selfie of her. And then the, the text on it says that she's ready for her date. You know, it was no secret. She had a date. Like she had told people, hey, I'm pretty positive about this girl. She seems really nice. She had been running into problems where she would meet a woman on Tinder and then, oh, turns out they actually have a boyfriend and they're just doing this on the side or they want her to join for a threesome or something like that, you know, where they're not being very upfront about it. You know, so she was hopeful for Audrey. So she and Audrey had a date planned and she left her house at about 7.30 that night on November 15th of 2017. Well, the next day, Sydney didn't show up for work. So everyone's like, where the fuck is Sydney? This isn't like her. You know, she's never late, much less not show up, period. So they start calling her family being like, hey, something's wrong. Like we can't get in touch with her. Her family tries to get in touch with her and they can't. They even go over to her house and everything seems normal. Like there's nothing out of place or anything. The lights are all on, but nothing is amiss. But her family reports her missing because this is not like her. She's never run away. She has no reason to run away, disappear, all the things. And it was taken very seriously. So all the police know is where the last ping of her cell phone was and the fact that she had been out on a date the night before with a woman named Audrey. But that was literally all the police had to go on. So one of Sydney's friends, her name is Brooklyn McChrystal. She decides, all right, we got to figure this out. Surely this Audrey still has a Tinder. So what she did was she created a fake dating profile with basically everything that Sydney would have had in hers and start swiping to see if she can find this Audrey person. Well, it fucking worked. She found Audrey. She and Audrey start talking and eventually, you know, she gets her number and they are going to set up a date. Well, of course, Brooklyn, as soon as she gets the phone number, she's like, here you go, police. Here's a phone number. Right. Police get the number and they figure out that that number doesn't belong to Audrey. Audrey is really a 23-year-old woman by the name of Bailey Boswell. So police try to go to talk to Bailey. And when they get to Bailey's apartment, she's not there, but the landlord is. And the landlord's like, dude, that apartment fucking reeks of bleach. Oh, no. Smells like a 50-gallon drum of bleach poured out in there. Like, it is awful. And I don't know where they are. So Bailey lives with her boyfriend, Aubrey Trail, and he's 52 years old. What they know is that Sydney's missing. We know that she was talking to someone who ended up being Bailey that was going by a different name. Bailey is in a relationship with Aubrey. Bailey and Aubrey are nowhere to be found. The landlord said that when Bailey and Aubrey moved into that apartment, that they had said that they were like antiquers, like antique dealer type things, and that they were just a couple who worked in antiques and, you know, that's all that they knew about them. While Bailey and Aubrey are gone, they leave Nebraska, they start posting videos and stuff on Facebook being like, the police are framing us, we're innocent. Bailey says in a video that she dropped Sydney off at a friend's house after their date 
And she's like, look, the date went really well. We smoked a lot of weed together. And that was pretty much it. So stop spreading all these lies about me. But really, all the police said were they were persons of interest. Like there was no like, hey, we think they did this. Like they weren't saying any of that. They were just like, hey, you were the last person to see her alive on this date. And now where are you? Like we want to talk to you. You know, can you come in? And they're like gone. Right. They're speaking from a guilty conscience. Not that. Not that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Good try. Conscience. No, that. (laughs) That word is so hard. Exactly. And Bailey did actually call the police one time and she told them that story and they're like, cool, cool. Can you come in and tell us that? And she's like, no. So it's like, well, if you're innocent, come on over. Yeah. But she says, no, I can't come in because I have warrants out. Bailey and Aubrey were actually, they weren't just like, hey, let me buy this chest of drawers and flip it and sell it. No, they like were, I hate to say like black market antique dealers because they weren't. They were fucking con artists. Yeah. So they would be like, here is a precious coin and you'd buy it and then it's fake. Yeah. They were those kind of fake antique dealers. Yeah. So they did have some run-ins with the law where they had gotten in trouble for, what's the word I'm looking for? Faking shit. The real one. There's a real word for it, but you get the point. Fraud? That. Also, you're sleeping on a bed of lies. So that makes you look guilty as fuck. At this point, the FBI is involved. So what they do is they take Bailey's cell phone data and they're like, okay, let's look at where she's been over the last month. Find her patterns of behavior. And then let's see if there is any point where she veered off path. And it worked. They found that there was this one time Bailey's cell phone had pinged in a remote area and it was the only time that happened. And it was when Sydney had gone missing. So the police take cadaver dogs and they start looking in that whole area. And on December 4th of 2017, over three weeks after Sydney went missing, they found her body. It was in Clay County, Nebraska, which I think was about two hours away from where she lived in Antelope County. Sydney's body had, this is going to get gruesome, had been dismembered and sliced into 14 pieces. That's a weird number. And when people dismember their victims, it takes it to a whole nother level for me. Uh huh. And here's the thing, too it was like pieces were in different trash bags in different places. Oh my gosh. So this is the part that's going to get a little more gruesome. So if you don't want to hear some of the stuff from the autopsy, skip forward a minute or two. The medical examiner said that some of Sydney's organs were actually missing, like her tongue, heart, esophagus, and one of her lungs. There was no blood left in her body. Like it had all been drained as part of the dismembering. So they had to use tissues for the toxicology report because they had no blood. All the toxicology showed was antidepressants and alcohol. So same Sydney. Well, more so like Dr. Pepper than alcohol, but (laughs) death with the antidepressant. So based on the autopsy, they could tell that she had been dismembered by like a straight edged knife or a tool of some sort. But there were also markings that like a serrated saw had been used as well. But like a manual one, not an automatic. Yeah. She had particular hemorrhaging, one of the indications that they had that she had been strangled. But some of her neck was like missing. So based on like the popping of the blood vessels and all that, we think she was strangled. But they couldn't see like ligature marks on her neck because it was 
fucking missing. The medical examiner said that her wrists and her ankles had bruising consistent with ligature marks for Mm -hmm. restraint. Now, they do think that some of the missing parts of her body could be from animals Mm -hmm. because there was evidence of like the bags being torn open, that kind of thing. But so I don't know if maybe some of the pieces literally weren't found because she had been scattered in so many places or if some of it was from animal excavation, question mark. Is that what it's called? Predation. I found that in my notes. (laughs) Well, eventually, Aubrey and Bailey were found. They were arrested on their fraud charges and then extradited back to Nebraska. So it was a way for them to be able to keep them in jail while they continued to investigate Sydney's murder. Of course, eventually, Bailey and Aubrey were both charged with first degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and and like desecration of a corpse. So Aubrey claimed from the jump, like, hey, Bailey didn't do any of this, yada, yada, yada. He said this was actually like a sex act gone wrong, that because Sydney was short on cash, she agreed to be part of like a snuff film with them for money. And he was strangling her with an extension cord with some other girls like in this video that who are these girls? We don't know because it's not real. And where's the video? Right. And that he was strangling her with the extension cord and it went too far and she died. And a it was, snuff film went too far. Also, she never wanted to be the threesome person and stuff. Exactly. So, no. And there's no evidence that she was having financial difficulties that she would have to do any type of sex work for money. I mean, she was the lead cashier at Menards. Like, there's nothing to prove that she would be, you know. Yeah, and if she was, a snuff film would not be her first foray into the adult film shit and also she was into bailey the girl she thought bailey was so she wouldn't have done it with her and her boyfriend right well aubrey changed the story multiple times because it wasn't ever true this is where it gets different so aubrey thought he was a vampire who is he rod farrell is that from your story last week well two weeks weeks ago ago? yeah never remember names yeah he thought he was a vampire and bailey a witch but not like how we know which, like in the your boyfriend's a vampire way. So Aubrey thought or tells people that he can fly and that he can hypnotize people and give them their greatest desires. But he can't do that right now. Right. Because he can't do that right now because he and Bailey needed to kill someone to essentially get their essence from them. Mm-hmm. So Aubrey fancied himself a vampire slash sex cult leader. I mean, he had goals. Right? And it does make sense that her body was drained of blood, though. Yes, but I don't think that that was actually part of it, though. Like, the vampire thing is, like, one, like, he just thought he was a vampire, but there's nothing with, like, blood that we know. They could have done some weird shit in there. I don't know. But I think that that is just the amount that she was dismembered versus, like, an intentional trying to drain her blood like it wasn't like a A sanguination yeah it wasn't like that it was how much her body had been dismembered so Aubrey goes to trial first and shit went awry in this trial I mean you can't write this shit so a couple of days into the trial middle of everything Aubrey stands up and screams Bailey is innocent and I curse you all and slits his own fucking throat what Yes, but like barely. I don't know if he was doing it just for the theatrics or if he really is that dumb and thought like this will work. 
I never saw anywhere of what he did it with or anything like that or how he had anything that he smuggled into this courtroom, but it was like superficial wounds. So let's patch that up and sit your ass back down and you have to be in handcuffs the rest of the time. Oh my gosh. But I really, I want to know, like, like, was it just the theatrics of it so that he could, like, get a mistrial or garner sympathy or whatever, like, or maybe he was hopeful that it would get back to Bailey and that Bailey would be like, he risked his life for me. Because these two were writing letters to each other while they were in prison. I think that they thought they were writing in code because a lot of stuff says that they wrote letters to each other in code, but not such good code. This is just some snippets. Okay, So this is Aubrey writing to Bailey. He frames it like it's a drug case. I told him you were in the room when the delivery was made, that you were in the living room, stoned, smoking. When I told you about the dope and you freaked out, I told them that you did not help cut up or bag the drugs. Like, what? Like, oh my gosh. Sir, sir. Oh my gosh. We are not that dumb. First of all, you have no drug thing coming up. But he also, in the letters, was like, this is what I told them. It's a real good story. You're going to have to fill in the blanks after that, though. And of course, he ends it with, you are my queen, and I gladly give my life to protect you. You are my whole world. And that's because she was known as the queen witch. And in this weird sex cult thing that they tried to create... He had to be called Master or Daddy, and she was Queen Witch and had to be called Mistress or Mom. So there were some other girlfriends that were kind of a part of this, not the murder, but the wannabe sex cult. They actually testified at Aubrey's trial. I'm just going to use their first names because some quasi-privacy. One of the girls, Ashley, testified that at one point, Bailey was talking about killing another witch named Anastasia that was part of the group because she, quote, wasn't evil enough. And that Aubrey told them if they commit a murder, they'll get magical powers. Not only will they get magical powers, but if they torture the person who they are killing, that they'll get even more powers. So Anastasia and Ashley both testified that, like I said, you had to call them daddy, mommy, mistress, master, one of those, and they would get a weekly allowance of two to $300. Aubrey would pay for like them to get their nails done, clothes, all of that, and then they would have the allowance on top of that. But they had to follow a strict set of rules. Aubrey was the top being, followed by Bailey, and they had to be completely obedient to both of them. If they didn't follow all the rules, there would be beatings attached to it. If they did stuff that they weren't supposed to do, like see other men, they would lock them inside the house or hotel room or wherever they were. And if they did go out and about on their own, they had to text or call Bailey every three hours to check in. Good Lord. Aubrey told them, again, like I said, if they torture and kill someone, they're going to get all this power and that he was going to film it and that this movie would make them rich. Like he guaranteed a million dollars that would be split among them. The women said that Bailey was really cruel and that she would talk about how she wanted to kill someone by pouring acid on them. No, 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 no. This has nothing to do with this story, but 
asked and made me think about it. You know, those TikToks that usually it's like creek time, but he does, this looks like a normal picture, but here's the thing behind it. Yes, 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 yes. There was a man and it's him. It's like back in the day. And it looks like he's just throwing something in the pool and it's acid. Yes, I've seen that. Yes, yes, yes. In a public pool. Why do I keep saying yes, yes, yes? (laughs) I saw that one. Oh my God. Oh my, oh, that is terrifying. There was some evidence aside from the testimony of Ashley and Anastasia. They did have Sydney's cell phone pinging at the house at around 7 or whatever time she picked her up, 7.30. And it went completely offline at around 8.30. Wow. They did find her cell phone later where her body was found. And it was like crushed in tons and tons of pieces. So did her cell phone just go off at 8.30 and she died quickly? I hope. But I'm going to guess they just destroyed her cell phone because what they had told the other women was that if they tortured someone for two to three hours, they would get more powers. So it makes sense that they just destroyed her phone and then God knows what she went through. Bless it. Police found video footage of the morning before Sydney's last date with Bailey that they had gone to Home Depot and they had bought hacksaws and other tools, including bleach, trash bags, and like a, a it was called like a, a tin clipper all the morning before the murder. Wow. So it was fucking planned. Like oh, for, you cannot uh. say, yeah, you cannot say that this wasn't planned. Like even if it was like, hey, let's meet this girl on Tinder, let's kill her, like that's planned, but this was like, let's go buy killing supplies. Let's go buy a fucking kill kit before we even have the date. Aubrey's trial lasted three weeks. So not only did he in the beginning self-harm and try to say, hey, she's innocent. One article I found said that he had two heart attacks and a stroke during his trial. Oh my gosh. But all in all, he was convicted and found guilty. Then it was Bailey's turn. So there weren't all the theatrics in her trial, but they had more physical evidence against Bailey. It was a latex glove that was found with Sydney's remains, and it had Bailey's DNA in it. They found Bailey guilty on all three counts, and it was kind of a big, like, is she going to be sentenced to death? Is she going to get life in prison? Because if she got sentenced to death, she would be like the first woman on death row, like in Nebraska, period. Oh my God. Right, which surprised me. I was like, So she's the first woman like on death row right now. But everything was like the first woman in like Nebraska's history. Because I even saw a thing that was like the prison system would have to write new protocols because there's not a woman. Weird. The part about Bailey's sentencing and all of that that just pissed me the fuck off was that she was like, don't sentence me to death for my daughter's sake. First of all, didn't know you had a daughter. And second of all, you didn't give two fucks about Sydney, her family, Anybody else, when you fucking brutally murdered her. Right. Brutally fucking murdered her. And it's like, while I want her child to not have to go through everything that it's going to go through, you made that decision for your child the moment you decided to take part in a murder. Right. Yeah. And it don't put that responsibility on the judicial system. That is your responsibility for the choices that you fucking made. Yeah, 100. But she wasn't sentenced to death. She was given life in prison. And Aubrey was given the death penalty. And like this all went down. Like they just got sentenced 2020. Like this time last year. And you know, they said that there was like no blood in their apartment to show 
how much pre-meditation there was of yeah like because they had bought like a drop cloth they had all the tools they needed they had it showed that they had gone back out for more garbage bags all of that and so it's like I bet they had that place lined uh-huh. all the things you know they were so prepared for there to be literally no blood left in Sydney's body and there was not a drop of blood in that apartment granted a fuck ton of bleach however yeah but there's still so many people that clean with bleach and, and it's d- d- everywhere exactly and their apartment was basically dirty except for like one room. Yeah. So there was so much premeditation that went into this. That makes me mad though that he got the death penalty and she didn't. I guess kind of like he was the ringleader. But she was the queen witch. Right. But it's like the ringleader getting the worse sentence than everybody else, you know? I mean, I do get that, but she literally lured the girl in. Right. And no. it wasn't, well, I don't know their relationship, but it didn't seem like the other cases that you've covered where the woman was forced to oh, no. lure someone in. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, no, no, no. She was definitely a part of this. I think what maybe was the decision making for me is what I would guess was that he says he strangled her with the extension cord and extension cord was found with her. So he's the one that did it. Whereas she lured her and helped dismember the body. So, you know, it's like, he's kind of the one that pulled the trigger. Like he's the one that actually killed her. Whereas she just kind of did the before and after stuff, which again, makes her just as guilty. Yeah, just as just culpable. As guilty. Right, right, right. But I'm saying that's just my only kind of logical thought process of why he got the death penalty and she didn't. Plus if Nebraska's never convicted any woman to death row, they're going to be a little more hesitant. Oh, for sure. Than, you know. But like, don't do it to the man then. No, I completely agree like, that it should be equal. Do not like that. Completely agree that it should be equal. If you're going to have the death penalty, again, do it equally. But her playing the fucking mom card. Uh-huh. I wanted to punch her in her trachea. Yes. Because again, you weren't thinking about your fucking daughter when you were in a, a sex cult with a vampire. You weren't thinking about her then. You weren't thinking about her when you created a fucking fake Tinder and lured women and were, still had it. You were still talking to people uh-huh. after Sydney died because that is how the friend found you. Right. Wow. I hate them. And her more so than him. Just because she's the one who, like, I feel like the first date, she was sussing Sydney out. Yeah. You know, and she probably was like, well, she would never join the cult, but we could sacrifice her. So, yeah, we'll keep going. Well, because poor Anastasia, she's lucky she got away. Right? If Ashley had agreed, Anastasia would have probably died. Oh, my gosh. Been murdered. Let me rephrase that. Yes. And also, like, it pisses me off that she's like, I'm a witch. Fuck you. Quit trying to give people who actually identify as a witch a shit fucking name. Right. Yeah. Because you're not... Well, while that was all happening in Nebraska, in Norwood, Massachusetts, my story was happening. All right. So remember when I mentioned Jack Kenna as a paranormal expert last episode? It was just in passing because he was also in the show I watched about the demonologist I covered. Like the guy that always brought the animals on No. Um, <laughs> no. Well, who's that? Jack Kenna. Yeah. And this is Jack Kenna. Kenna with a K? Yeah. Ew. <laughs> Oh, Lord. So, no, you don't remember him. Okay. Are you surprised? No. Anyway, this week, we're going to talk about a case that Jack Kenna and his team worked on. Tammy Shea wanted to start a new chapter for her and her kids. And in November of 2017, they moved into a new home. It was a beautiful old Victorian home that had been made into a duplex. 
It was three bedroom, one bath, and more importantly for Tammy, it had a great big kitchen. Because for so many people, the kitchen is the heart of the home. Mine, I was like, we can have it. The guy who built it was like, you want this and that? I'm like, no, no, I don't cook. This was a place for them to start over because Tammy had just gotten out of a 15-year relationship. Sheesh. So her and her three kids were eager for this change. Well, everyone but Shane. Tammy's oldest son is William, who was 20 at the time. Shane was 17. And then her daughter, Corinne, who was 10. And like I said, Shane was the only one who really didn't like this change or the new house. But everyone agreed to try to accept the change and be positive. On move-in day, William and Shane both ventured up to the attic because, hello, they were both nosy, scoping the place out, all the things. They found a time capsule basically in the attic. It was filled with a shit ton of stuff that looked like it was from the 1800s. Boxes of stuff, Christmas decorations, a bed. But even though it was weird as fuck to have all this stuff up there that wasn't theirs, they decided to go back downstairs and continue to keep unpacking. Well, later that afternoon, Charles, the neighbor, stopped by to say hello. Tammy was so surprised that the other tenant was so nice and thoughtful to come by and say, hey. But then he said something that made her think back to the attic and all that junk up there and that weird vibe that she had gotten from it. He said, I hope the house is good to you. Just, like, strange phrase to say. Yeah, that's weird as fuck. Uh, thanks, question mark? Right? Well, that night, Tammy heard a door slam and some racket, but she assumed it was her son's. She yelled from her room at them, and she didn't hear a response or anything. And so, you know, she probably was like, heh, that got him to stop. But it probably wasn't them. But she didn't know that, and so she went to sleep. I have to assume having three kids and two boys, things going bump in the night never really equated to a ghost in her mind. Yeah, she just said, kids, get the fucking bed. Right, because I totally blame sounds on Marbu for like my peace of mind mostly, or she scares the shit out of me because she does make the noise and I think it's a ghost and then I'm like, oh, it's Marbu. Which is her dog if you don't know. Oh yeah, sorry, that's my dog. (laughs) Somebody's first time listening, they're like, who the fuck is Marbu? (laughs) Over the next few days, they had all settled in and all the weirdness was gone. Tammy was a hospice nurse and worked 12-hour shifts. So she had left the kids chores to do. You know, I mean, as parents do. But they didn't do any of it during the day when she was gone. So she jumped on their asses when she got home to get them done. Well, Shane was the one who had to go down to the basement to do laundry. Those damn basements. It was cold down there. He was on edge because no one loves the basement. And he just felt like something was going to happen. Like it was that static in the air. Just everything seemed on the verge of something. Well, Shane noped the fuck out of the basement because he was like, nah, this is weird. Something's going on. He went to run up the stairs, but he tripped on the stairs and was like, oh my God. And I bet he fucking fear farted. When he looked 
up at the stairs and there was a girl in a white dress and she didn't look alive. But Shane gave zero fucks about anything but getting out of the basement. So he continued up the stairs and ran to his mom. He told Tammy that he was never going down to the basement again because he saw something down there. A girl. And Tammy was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Because she thought he was just trying to get out of doing laundry. So she got pissed. Tammy was stressed because she felt like they weren't helping her out. Now she was a single mother and needed her kids to be on board and to assist. Shane felt alone because his mom didn't believe him. But Tammy felt alone because she felt like her kids weren't supporting her. Later on one night, Tammy woke up to some clanking around downstairs. She went down because she was sure it was Shane throwing a tantrum or something. She went downstairs to check it out and in the kitchen, every cabinet was open, every drawer was open. And so she called for Shane and questioned him. And he was like, why the fuck would I do any of this? She's like, I don't know. Maybe you're still pissed at me about the whole basement thing. Exactly. So then she called for William, questioned him, and he also denied it. But she thought they were just being teenage boys and fucking with her. And she was like, I'm not laughing. And Shane was like, me either, because I told you this house was haunted. Well, Tammy was still in denial. But one afternoon, when she was arriving home from work, she met her mailman. He was delivering a package, and so they talked for a moment. And he mentioned that he had been curious about the house because tenants never stay too long. And he was like, as a matter of fact, Charles, the other tenant, just moved out. And Tammy was like, what? I literally just spoke to him the other day. And the mailman was like, yeah, change of address and everything. So he asked if the rent was high or something, and Tammy was like, nah. And so he jokingly said, must be haunted. And like, hey, hey, hey. And she, of course, was like, oh, God. Because she thought about Shane and his belief that it was haunted. The evidence was stacking up against the house at this moment. But Tammy wasn't just going to believe something without experiencing more. And you know how they say, be careful what you ask for. Because she was asleep, kind of tossing and turning. But when she opened her eyes, there was a woman lingering in the air over her. Like hovering above her in a white dress. But it wasn't a little girl like Shane had seen. This was an older woman. Always in a fucking white dress. <laughs> she, of course, screamed at the top of her lungs. So her kids came barreling in her room to check on her. And she admitted to what she just saw and apologized to Shane for not believing him. Shane's like, told you so, told you so, told you so. <laughs> exactly. Tammy had so much stuff that she was facing. They had just moved in. She didn't want to uproot her family again. And even if she decided, okay, let's move, she really couldn't afford to move out financially. She felt hopeless about her options, but she knew she was going to find a way to help her family. Then one night while Shane was sleeping, he basically had a sleep paralysis experience. He felt like he woke up and the girl in white was on his bed looking at him. When he stared back at her, he started to have trouble breathing, like her presence was choking him. And just when he thought he was going to die, he woke up and there was no one in the room, but he was gasping for air and completely shaken. Tammy rushed in and Shane told her what had happened. And Shane said it felt so real and was so scary because he now knew that a ghost could hurt him. So Tammy was determined to help her family and whatever was in this house seemed to be ramping up. 
she decided that they would all sleep in the living room and never be alone in the house. The only exception to this was William, the oldest son, because his girlfriend Karina was staying over more to help out around the house, and so they could stay in his room. And speaking of Karina, she was in the bathroom one time taking a shower. She had an experience where the plastic liner would push up against her. She said it felt like a hand was pushing it, but it was never where she could see it happen. It just kind of happened. Yeah, they had that cheap dollar store curtain. I used to hate when the liner would touch me. Yeah, and when you're a fucking extra large pizza and that shit happens, they ain't no getting away from it. No, no, it's not. It's stuck forever. It's stuck on glue. But no one hates the shower curtain more than Karina. And when that was happening, she felt like she was being watched. But she knew that wasn't possible because the door was locked. When she got out of the shower, Karina did the typical thing where you bend over, put the towel on your head, and then like pop back up. And crack a crack. <laughs> um, I don't think that's a typical thing. Have y'all ever done that when you're drying off in the shower and you bend over and the top of your butt crack cracks? That fucking shit hurts so bad. <laughs> I have done that before, but not in a while. Tell me you have dress skin without telling me you have dress skin. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in classic horror movie style, when she popped back upright without cracking her crack, in the mirror, she saw something behind her. It was a shadow, like a black shadow, in the shape of a man. She ran out of the bathroom and tried to explain what she saw. I mean, screaming, of course. And that was kind of the last straw. William was like, look, we can't live like this anymore. And Tammy felt like a failure because she couldn't keep her kids safe. So Tammy and Karina both did some Googling and found a paranormal team that was close by. And it was Jack Kenna's team. They're called Spirits of New England. Like it's S.P.I.R.I.T.S. You know, it probably, it stands for something, but you know. He didn't bring the kangaroos? No, he did not. Tammy was so scared that they were going to charge and she didn't have the money to do this. But, you know, she was like, they're close. Please let this work. And it was the first sign of hope for her because Jack said they did not charge. How do they like recoup their costs for like travel and all that? I wonder. Well, I feel like they don't travel far. It was close by and stuff, but I don't know. Bake sales? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me you're fat without telling me you're fat. Dude, you have Rice Krispie treats. Oh my God. Oh, the best. Homemade Rice Krispie treats. Mm. I was watching Legacies on uh, Netflix, like, I don't know, a month ago or so. They had a bake sale on one of the things, and I was like, bake sale? That sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I want homemade goodies. You don't want to make them, you want to buy them. Yes, exactly. Well, mine doesn't taste like that. Hell no. All right, so Jack and two others on the team showed up to Tammy Shea's house. It was Ellen McNeil, who is actually the founder of the team and a lead investigator. And then Sarah Campbell, who is also a lead investigator, but has psychic abilities like Jack. Because if, well, if you remembered him, you would remember that I said he also saw a horned demon when he was young. Right away when the team arrived, just looking at the house, they felt a heaviness. There was something just off about the house, and it wasn't welcoming. Ellen said that the first time she met with Tammy, she just wanted to hug her because Tammy looked like she hadn't slept in weeks, which she hadn't. How could she? She's like doing her best to protect her family. 
And it was just Tammy in the house because she sent her kids away to friends' houses to stay while they did the walkthrough and everything. Well, during the walkthrough, Jack was drawn to the basement. So the team went down there and did an EVP session. While Ellen was asking some questions for the EVP session, Jack got a vision of some sort of ritual that had taken place in the basement years prior. That's when he opened his eyes and he could see the black shadow figure of a man that Karina had seen in the bathroom. And he knew that it was a demonic entity. He told them that they had to get out of the basement right then. When they were back on the main floor, Sarah complained about the back of her neck burning and they moved her hair and there at the nape of her neck was one big scratch. Jack told Tammy what had happened in the basement and that it was a demonic force trying to make them leave the house without helping her and her family, but they weren't going to leave. During their research, the spirits team was able to trace the history of the house back to the original owner slash builder. It was built by William Duke Barry. And this guy, he led some type of spiritual group. It wasn't a sex cult like your people, but it was some weird spiritual group, okay? Okay. And that lined up with the vision he had seen in the basement. Jack said that the men who were doing the ritual, they weren't doing anything negative. It wasn't like, ooh, it's a black magic kind of thing, but they did open something, maybe not knowing what they were doing. And when the house was vacant, it's like the demon was drawn to it and then latched onto the house and then preyed on the residents that had moved in. But Jack said he did not believe that the demon was in different forms for the lady in white or the little girl in white. He believed that there were other entities in the house as well. Something was drawing those spirits there. Another place Jack was drawn to was the attic. So they went upstairs and that's when Jack realized that there was a portal in the attic. Because of all the mirrors that were up there, Jack explained that what he thought was the ritual had made it where the demon was able to get into the house. And then the demon is the one who created the portals and the mirrors in the attic and basically invited other spirits through. Well, when the spirits got there, he used them to scare the humans. Then he basically fed on the fear of the residents. So with this knowledge, the team got to work to find which mirrors were the portals. So what they used was a St. Benedict medal, and it was hanging from a thread, kind of like a pendulum. So the bigger the swing, the bigger the portal, and if it didn't swing, then it wasn't a portal. Once Jack identified the portal, he said that he envisioned a torn piece of fabric with light coming through it. He then pulled the spirits back through the portal in his mind's eye and then sewed the fabric shut. With the spirits gone and the portals closed, they cleansed the house with sage and now they had to fight the demon. And when they were cleansing, the house started reacting to them. Like the room started to shake. The floor shook. And Jack was getting weaker So they all prayed with him out loud. And Sarah said it sounded like hands banging against the wall. It was like an earthquake was going on inside. And after a few minutes, it suddenly all stopped. And immediately the air felt lighter. Tammy said she could feel it too. And she was filled with hope that her and her family could continue on with this new beginning. And they did. Tammy and her kids still live in the house. She said it's filled with positivity and laughter. Everyone is back to normal. No one is scared of being in the house anymore. 
However, Shane is like us and he's always on edge waiting for something to happen. How we always wait for the next ball to drop. Mm-hmm. So far, it hasn't. The experience did change them, but it did not break them. This was on an episode of A Haunting called Wicked Eviction, if y'all want to watch. Okay, so while I'm not saying that they didn't experience something, it's always a fucking demon. Not always, but apparently I've just really been drawn to that. I don't know why. Yeah, but on like shows and stuff, it's always a demon. I mean, it's not, besides Ghost Adventures. (laughs) I mean, I know people do, demons do get blamed way too often. Yeah, like I just feel like it can't always be a demon. And I feel like, again, on TV shows, it's literally always a demon. Well, you say literally and it's not literally always. It's 99.9% of the time. It's not. You don't even watch these shows. Well, when I do, Uh it's always a demon. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I watch them some on the watch parties. Like, 1% of what you watch are the paranormal shows. So, you cannot say that. Well, I see people's comments in the Facebook group. <laughs> and they say it's always So, you're demons. just a follower? Yes. Okay. They say, oh my God, it's always a demon. Demons annoy me. And I'm like, oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But, I mean, I do get it. Also, you can't just be like, it's not a demon because it's always a demon. And that's just lying. Because then... Sometimes it might actually be. Yes. That's okay. Your house is going to be haunted and it's going to be a demon. And you're going to be like, it's really a demon. I'm going to be like, okay, okay, sure. And then I'll be like, Donna, it's in the hall. And I'll be like, I know, bitch. So you think that Jack Hanna's brother is legit? It's Jack Hanna. I said brother. You think he's legit? Yeah, I think so. I just want to know someone who's psychic. Well, you're never going to because you are mean. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, allegedly, you're psychic. I never said that. But then you watch Long Island Medium and you're like, she's legit. Because I've never said that about a psychic. I believe psychics. He's a psychic. Who sees demons. Okay. I thought the girl was the psychic. I'd said both. And I literally said. I didn't listen. If you remember, (laughs) he saw a horned demon when he was younger. Yeah. So that's, he's two for two for demons. He literally has a team and he's worked on several other things and he didn't say they were demons. Good. Allegedly. (laughs) Well, y'all let me know what y'all think because we already hear what Carrie thinks. The demon got her. I I will say though, the family experienced something, probably. You know what? I'm going to do a Ouija board here and I'm not going to close it. And then I'm just going to let everything come and be like, allegedly, you experienced something. I will kill you. And I'm petty enough to do it. You're scared, too scared to do it by yourself. I didn't say I would do it by myself. Who's going to do that shit with you? My sister-in-law. And she had a book about witchcraft. And that's where I learned the rubbing the cat tail on your sty and it makes it go away. And that's fucking legit. That fucking works. That really does work. That Mm -hmm. worked for me one time. It worked for me too. You don't like rub it. We've talked about this before and people are like, what do you mean? You don't like rub it on in your eye. You just like, shoo, 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 Yeah. Past your eye. Yeah. Like I like close my eye. Oh, I left it open. Oh, well, apparently it doesn't matter what you do. Just get a cat. <laughs> just <laughs> any old cat off the street. <laughs> and just swish, swish, swish. I did it three times. Yes. And that fucking sigh, gone. Gone in like instant. Yeah. Like I legit went back and I was like, oh damn, it's gone. <laughs> That was when Donna had cats before she became allergic. <laughs> no, before my autoimmune said, new chapter of your life, everything you, will fuck you up. Yeah, everything bothers you. Yes. I had cats and dogs growing up. Well, let us know what you think of this episode. Do you think it was a demon? Do you think that 
it was just your run-of-the-mill haunting. And uh, what do you think about old Brian Bailey? <laughs> Poor Sydney, because she did not know what she was walking into. Like she thought she was no, walking she, in to a date with another. She had hope. With yeah, and with another female, and she mm-hmm. gets there, and it's her and a guy that's twice her age. She doesn't know. She doesn't know what's going on. Like, and then God only knows what she went through. I I don't want to know. And I know we've talked about this before, but, you know, Donna and I have both been on Tinder. We've both been on Plenty of Fish, all the things. and Leave Plenty of Fish, though, y'all. Yeah, Don't. that's terrible. Just take that app off of your thing. But, you know, one thing that we always did, I would do this even with friends who didn't meet people online. If they met somebody even at work or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you don't know them or have mutual friends with them, or even if you do and you just want to be safe, share your location with your friends. Like, don't just ping it. Be like, share my location until I say to stop. And then always send a picture that that person uses on the site. Mm-hmm. Like multiple ones. If they have multiple pictures, send them fucking all. Send their contact information to your best friends. Make sure that people know, somebody knows where you are. Yes. Like we would always do that. I still do that. And say, okay, hey, he's here. Okay, hey, he just left. Yeah. Because trust me, if you fall asleep and I don't know that they left or not, I'll ride out to your motherfucking house. Oh my God, that one time you did. But I was on the phone with someone. This was like a long time ago, pre-Colby. We might have been FaceTiming. So I was not dressed. But uh, gross. <laughs> I saw I saw someone shimmying on the side of my window. <laughs> like, y'all know on Super Nintendo, when Mario would, like, climb the uh, fence, how he would do, that was how Carrie was going <laughs> around my window. I was like, I gotta go. <laughs> and then, like, she's, like, look at him, but you can't see in my blinds. It was, like, the ultimate edging. Hang on, I gotta go. <laughs> But, like, you can't see in my blinds, but outside, I could see her fine. (laughs) And so, I could see her looking in, and I was like, oh, my God, she sees me. Like, because I didn't know you couldn't see in that much. (laughs) You can't see anything. And so, she was looking, and I'm like, I'm topless. I mean, I had panties on, but I'm topless. She's looking at me. And what did she hear? Because she had been on the other window and I just saw her when she came around the side. (laughs) And so I opened the door, like put on a shirt and opened the door. And then I showed her like, I could see you. You couldn't see me. (laughs) So much for sneaking up on her. (laughs) Oh my God. I was like, what in the fuck? Oh, it's Carrie. But why? (laughs) (laughs) Thank y'all so much for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, all the things and remember creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared